called How do I prove to the world that I'm here and that I'm a man, that I'm not a little kid anymore? And I'll only be young once. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. You are now listening to Right Ways Radio, hosted by Journeyman, amplifying the voices of youth development and modern rites of passage. Hello and welcome to Right Ways Radio, hosted by Journeyman. Today we have a very special guest joining us all the way from the other side of the country. We have Boyson Hodgson from MKP USA. He's the Marketing and Communications Director. Welcome, Boyson. Thanks for joining us. Hey, I'm really happy to be here with you guys, Nikki, Alex. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, we, uh, we've been meaning to connect with you for, for quite some time. I actually first, um, Alex and I first came to know about your work and role with MKP um, as you were a guest on Charles Eisenstein's um, masculinity course. And I think you were his first guest and someone who kind of brought me into awareness about MKP and the work that's being done. I've since gone through the New Warrior Training Adventure and recommended quite a few men to, to you know, consider, consider going through the experience themselves. And um, first of all, I want to thank you for bringing awareness to this work and um, also invite you to maybe share a little bit about your path coming into men's work and uh, what it is that you do at MKP. Nice. Thank you. Yes, uh, that course with Charles, A New Story in Masculinity, um, that is right up my alley. That I was honored that Charles invited me to be a part of that. Um, yeah, my story and how I came to men's work. So I grew up surrounded by men and boys. I have uh, five brothers that I grew up with. I have six brothers total, no sisters. Um, so I was kind of surrounded by male energy um, and grew up in a very small town, rural, upstate New York upbringing and uh, learned what I learned about what it means to be a man from, you know, watching my brothers and watching my dad and uh, and and later watching um I had a stepdad and then I had another stepdad. Um, so kind of seeing all of these different models and a pastor, I was in church when I was young and all these different models of masculinity. And by the time I got into my twenties, I knew that a lot of the lessons that I had taken on as a boy about what it meant to be a man in, in our culture were just not very functional for me. Didn't work. I was not a sports, you know, my older brother was a state champion wrestler in New York. And in New York, if you're a state champion wrestler, that's a big deal. And I was not that. I was like this smart, nerdy little kid, smart, nerdy, pudgy little kid. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I had I had a model of what it meant to be in relationships with women from my dad and divorce and remarriage and divorce. And I had those models from my older brother and my brothers and the men that I saw in my life. I had a very upstate New York where I grew up is a very, very rural, very white, very um, kind of blue collar 
area. So all of the messages that men get in those areas about what you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to relate to women, how you're supposed to relate to other men. Um, and then all the cultural influences that I saw, you know, so I grew up in the area in the era of Miami Vice and that as a model of masculinity, mm-hmm. you know, and didn't understand any of it. <laughs> and then went away to college from my tiny little high school, went away to college at a, a larger an Ivy League university at Cornell, and then a whole other batch of what it means to be a man, what it means to be Greek and in a fraternity and a party and you do this and like all of those things and sports and all that stuff. And I was just lost in that. And my relationship with masculinity was one of, of like, well, that's really interesting what I see happening over there. It doesn't feel like it fits for me. And I didn't, um, didn't have a lot of close friendships, um, didn't have a lot of that. So that's kind of like where I started. And uh, when I was in my late 20s through relationship, um, I found a men's group that was not associated with the Mankind Project and started uh, realizing I just did not trust men, didn't trust men and wondered what that meant. And fast forward a few more years when the pain got great enough and I went looking for some way of uh, helping myself move through a lot of this limiting stuff that I had taken on and discovered the Mankind Project in um, there's a whole other story connected to my family in there, which we can get to. But that's that's kind of the old story that led me into men's work. Thank you, Boyson, for sharing a bit about your path and how you ended up here today. Um, you know, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on the importance of the father and son relationship. You know, hearing your experience with a few stepfathers. And I also understand that you're a father of a 12 year old boy yourself. Um, a lot of our listeners are often parents, mentors, and I'd just be curious to hear your perspective on how important that role is as a father and the relationship with his son. Nice. Mentoring relationship, father-son relationship. Um, I love my dad. I have a beautiful relationship with my dad today. And um, what I learned about, yeah, it was tough. My dad didn't have a whole lot of time. There were so many mm-hmm. of us, mm-hmm. right? So what I've learned, um, first of all, I think that relationship is incredibly important. Um, and what I've learned about it now is that um, I, I see a lot of the beautiful things that my dad gave me as a child um, that are really meaningful that I brought into my parenting and the way that I parent. My dad is emotional, mm. um, always was. My dad is physical um, in, a, in a good way, in a compassionate way. And like my dad is a hugger, you know, like, and, I, <laughs> and I grew up with that. And, you know, yeah, my dad always kissed us and, and uh, always gave us that. So that warmth and that kind of loving, um, loving connection I experienced from, with my dad a lot. And then I got a whole lot of other stuff from my dad. You know, every man has multiple aspects, right? Mm-hmm. Every man has his shadow. 
uh, that we talk about in the Mankind Project, those parts of himself that he doesn't really want to show the public. Um, so I got a lot of good things. And I think for me, like that's one of the key things. And, and the, the men who I am really close to in the Mankind Project today who are dads, those are the things that I see. I see dads who are present when they're present. They're mm. present when they're there. So dads who stop and listen. Dads who are uh, not reinforcing uh, the kind of stoic, don't cry, toughen up, um, kind of stereotypical stuff with their sons, with their kids, but are showing them like adult men expressing healthy emotion. Mm-hmm. Adult men who know what they feel. Adult men who can actually speak to what they feel. Adult men who, who you know, and this is, I think, in all relationships, who ask open-ended questions instead of shutdown questions, who use what and how instead of why uh, in, in connecting. And those are the things that I'm, you know, I'm a new parent. I'm an adoptive parent. So those are the things that I've brought to my parenting that now when my kids can actually speak to what they feel and when their expectation is that I'm going to ask them questions that will lead them further and sometimes that annoys them also, and <laughs> I can live with that, you know, but yeah, that, those are the kind of things. And I think that mentoring relationship, so we can't go and fix, and this is something that Glenn Barker, a friend of mine, an MKP guy in Chicago talks about, we can't go fix the family system in the United States. I'm not going to fix the divorce rate. No organization is going to fix the divorce rate. Mm-hmm. But what we can do as men is be those role models in communities with everyone that we're interacting with. So when I interrupt, interact as an uncle, as you know, in the quotation kind of way, I'm an uncle to the, the kids in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And they get to experience me as somebody who's open, is going to meet their eyes, is going to ask them questions and, and be that kind of, of presence. I think that that's probably the most important thing I can say about parenting and mentoring. Yeah. I, I feel so resonant with this description of mentorship as, um, as a role that we as adults or community members can step into in any given moment. And something that is part of our vision here at journeyman is to cultivate a, a sense of opportunity there for adults and people who have, you know, had significant experiences in their life to engage meaningfully with those younger or at an earlier stage than them in some ways. And as you just described, stepping into that role as mentor, as mentor or uncle to, you know, kids on your block um, can be a really, really powerful way to, you know, naturally call out your gifts and, and share the work that you've done and also, you know, show, show kids, show children, so show younger folks um, that, they have support outside of their immediate family unit. And um, another thing I heard you speak to that, that feels important to explore a little bit more is this idea of time as the father. And this feels particularly relevant for me now is just yesterday I learned that we're going to be, uh, we're going to be having twins in this pregnancy. So super exciting. And I'm already feeling very stretched, right? As a father, we have a three-year-old son and I'm, I'm doing this dance of sitting with 
uh, my professional life and my own passions and then feeling like my role as a father is so important right now. And then to be like, and we're having twins. Wow. Where is that time going to come from? And so this name for us journeymen is is rekindling uh, the essence of an old model of how we uh, used to learn uh, from others, which is to say, you know, a professional career was done through studying um, through mentorship and through the apprentice model. And then this label journeyman was kind of like the middle, the middle path or, or finding yourself in the middle of a, of a journey through uh, becoming a master in some way. And a lot of scholars and people, people who I look up to in, in this work, they describe the industrial area era as one in which the modern father has really been taken out of the home and taken away from the children as, you know, working long hours through um, the industrial revolution. And even now just feeling like we're so called to the professional workspace, to the office, to the job, whatever form of work that may be it's becoming less and less common for children or those under us to be able to work with us. And one vision I have as, as, a, as a man finding out what it means to be a man in today's society is to find a balance between work that can be done you know, in the presence of younger folks, my own children and other younger folks, um, and also work that you know, I choose to do or want to do on my own. And I'm, I'm interested to hear maybe how you found balance in that way, or, or maybe some strategies, techniques, or good examples of, of people who can, who can create that space and that time to, you know, engage with their children and kids, um, and also, you know, show up as a, as a career-minded individual. Yeah, that's, I, I feel, um, that's really, hmm, that's really great, that kind of presence, and it actually just brought something back to me. So, Two, two examples. My dad was a veterinarian um, and always worked in an office that was, you know, in my formative years, it was right next door. So it was, you know, kind of not attached to our house, but right next door. So I was in the vet office a lot as a kid, you know, going, going before school, my dad would be doing surgery, going after school, my dad would be, would be with clients and, and seeing, and I got to see how my father interacted with people as a model for, you know, interact. So how I learned how to, how to, um, be charming, how I learned how to be polite, how I learned how to interact with people. And then one of my stepdads, um, after my parents were divorced and my mom remarried, um, owned a nursery, a tree nursery, tree farm. That was my first job. So 13 years old, I had a shovel in my hand. And um, being out there in the field, literally in the field, next to men. Um, and yeah, some of the stuff that I learned in there, I learned a lot of really nasty language. <laughs> and I learned a lot of really poor ways of interacting with women. Um, from those experiences, but you know, this is what we have the opportunity to change mm -hmm. now as, as this kind of new men is, is, uh, you know, when I see other men in my circle who work outside, so even if they're in careers where they're away from the home for their careers, you know, the kind of men that I see being models for this are the guys who are taking their sons, taking their daughters when they're doing stuff outside guys who garden. Uh, guys who are working on their houses, guys who are, you know, doing whatever they're doing as that kind of mentor path with consciousness, right? And also screwing it up sometimes, 
Mm. My kids learn so much from me screwing up <laughs> and, and taking ownership of it. You know, that, and I think that it is really valuable. And I think it's something that's coming back. And I think journeyman is another one, another example, right? There's this longing, this yearning in us as a culture for those interactions. And so you guys are creating another vehicle to fulfill that yearning for connection, multi-generational connection, community connection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, just listening to you, I, I hear this, this intention of mine, which is to, you know, as I engage my, my three-year-old son in, in different activities, I am also cultivating a, um, I'll call it a, a surrender of that old masculine mindset that I have to be super productive and efficient and not make mistakes. And when I engage in activity with him, I realize I'm reminded, I should say, I'm reminded of how, uh, how much learning I am exposed to and he is exposed to when I mess up and when I'm wrong and can admit that, you know, with some form of grace. And I have to say that the archetype of the, the white knight or being on the white horse, uh, feels really relevant for me and, and it's less painful when I can kind of dismount intentionally rather than being completely blasted off by, uh, you know, something that, that comes from the side or, or comes out of my awareness. So um, I hear those themes playing out here as well. And I, I appreciate the example that you gave of, of the vet office. You know, as a, as a kid, I, I didn't get a lot of time with my dad on the job. He was a carpenter. But those days that I did get there, I feel I felt so... Mm, I felt so included in his life in this mysterious part of, you know, my, my whole upbringing, which was my dad's work. And yeah. even just for a day to be brought into that felt so meaningful for me to get a glimpse of that and to be brought into his world. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm, I kind of jumped into something. So the mankind project, right? I'm with the mankind project and, yes. and we do two things. We run men's groups and peer peer facilitated peer support groups for guys where guys get to to men, men mentoring men is one of the ways that we talk about it is like men being in the presence in the open vulnerable presence of other men um connecting with them and then we do these intensive experiential training programs the new warrior training that you talked about and one of the things that you and I touched base on before Nikki is this idea of adult men being terrified of vulnerability and and especially with their kids right gotta be you have to be that white knight you have to be that like that strong presence that da -da -da, dad's always right dad rules the house kind of thing or or adults you know it's not just men <laughs> men women we we rule the house we're right um and i think that that's one of the things that the mankind project and other programs like it but you know speaking to the mankind project the new warrior training adventure helps men crack that armor that has them believing that they have to be invulnerable, that they have to be perfect, that they have to show up in this way for the people in their lives, for their kids. What an experience of beauty it is when a dad can own his vulnerability for his children, what a model that is um, for a dad to be in his heart. So as I, you know, I said, my dad, my dad was a very emotional guy, didn't own his flaws though. 
you know, didn't own his his weaknesses and vulnerabilities in a way that was transparent to me anyway, as as a kid. And I think that that would have been so it would have helped him learn. And it would have helped me learn a whole different set of beliefs about how to handle relationship and how to be a dad and how to be if if you know, he had been able to own more of that vulnerability in our relationship. And so I strive for that now. And I think that's a terrifying place for men. And when we talk about mentorship, you and I talk about mentorship. Mentors are, male mentors are so hard to find. Big brothers, big sisters, they've got waiting lists of boys waiting for adult men. And adult men are terrified. To step into that because they're going to be seen, and we know this on some level, they're going to be seen in their vulnerability. They're going to be seen as, as not perfect. But you're not perfect, dude out there listening, you're not perfect is what we need. Mm-hmm. Right? We need that. Thank you for naming that. Uh, we've actually noticed that within our organization that it's quite challenging to find adult men willing to step up and help support youth in our communities as a mentor. Uh, and I think one of the big pressures they put on themselves is is exactly that, that they feel they have to be perfect. If they're going to work with kids, they have to be this ideal, you know, this vision of a man that isn't even attainable. Um, and often I feel as though men also expect that they are going to need to be the teacher as opposed to a mentor, which is quite different. And I'm curious to hear you speak to ways in which we could call out, call in our men in a way that is inviting and, and maybe helps them actually show up to support youth. Um, because that's been a big challenge for us as well. So, I, yeah, I jump right into the self-interest, appeal to a man's self-interest. So uh, I would not be nearly the professional I am in my professional life had I not learned how to listen better and be present. I would not be the leader that I am in my life, in my work, in my family had I not listened to acknowledge, not learned to acknowledge and bless people in around me. And, you know, the same, I wouldn't be, it, it's kind of the fixed mindset versus a learning mindset, right? So there may be, it, the society teaches men that we're supposed to maintain this kind of fixed mindset. We know, we got it. We got it. We got it covered rather than this learning mindset of I'm going to go into the exploration here. And and uh, what I love about, you know, watching adventure programs, outdoor programs, mentoring programs is that, wow, let's go play in this together. Let's let's go get muddy together and figure out what we learn from it rather than trying to create some kind of rigid experiences so appealing to a man's self-interest like hey man you want to be better in every single thing that you do you want to make more money you want to be more powerful learn how to listen Mm. Mm. you know you want to be a better leader learn how to bless and acknowledge other people and you know yeah i i bet 
you know, I don't have this study at my finger. Actually, I do have a study. So a team study that Google conducted over two years, 200 teams, um, all kinds of teams across multiple platforms within the Google organization. And the key thing they found to a team's ultimate success, like better than any other team, the more sense of emotional safety the members of the team felt, the higher performance that team would have. Hmm. So there were other measurable kind of business metrics that mattered. Like they had a shared sense of purpose. They had a good, uh, clear sense of their goals. They had all of these things. But the teams that excelled, they had a sense of emotional safety within the team that allowed everybody to perform higher. So do most men go to work in the morning saying, I'm going to create an incredible sense of emotional safety with my coworkers today or with my reports today? But if you did that, mm -hmm. you'd have a better business. And if you want to learn to do that, mentor. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. I, I sense that there's a, like a paradox within this too, which is, um, as, as I see it as a, as a man, as someone who's grown up in Western society to have a preference for tangibility, for hard facts, for scientific studies to, to tell me things or when something is relevant or important. And then to also, uh, as a man, as someone who's grown up in Western society, as someone who went to business school for over six years, um, to feel like there is an importance of creating emotional safety in a container and, it's I, I'm smiling as I'm as I'm speaking to this because I sense that um, there may not be a a clear practical uh, benefit um, communicated to a lot of the men that you know we're working with and have invited into circles to be a mentor and as I've actually heard the one of the founders of Boys to Men um, you know as you know the organization that's that's been working closely with Mankind Project and doing uh, awesome work and finding mentors for boys and creating that relationship. Uh, one of the videos that, that they have uh, publicized describes the challenge in recruiting adult men. He's like, you, you, you may be surprised. It's not hard for us to find boys who are willing to, you know, go out for a weekend and talk about their feelings. But to invite a man into that, pro, you know, prompts a very different response. And usually it's fear and uh, an evasion technique to be like, mm, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, as I, you know, as I sit with my own process of, of you know, choosing to be open with my emotions and, and work with them and find the value in creating emotionally safe places to do work. Um, I, I feel like studies like that by someone or an organization like Google that, that clearly recognize the benefit. It's important. It's important that we have, that we have those indicators of what it actually serves in a, in a team um, container and then to also be able to extrapolate that on a societal level or a community level to say, hey, what can we accomplish together when we feel safe with each other? And this feels relevant for me as we, you know, we, you know, I'll just say that we may be sitting in one of the most politically uh, tense situations in my lifetime and to say, hey, what can we accomplish when we actually feel emotionally safe together where I can express my opinion that's very, very different than yours and to still, you know, trust that I'm not going to be attacked personally and that we can sit in that tension. Um, I have a huge amount of hope that as we continue to engage, especially on the macro scale and really, really high tension topics, 
that we can choose to be respectful and compassionate for each other, even when we're disagreeing on the most fundamental of levels. So something else that I've learned through men's work and from mentors of mine is somatic stuff. So fear, fear in the body, fear in my body, fear in your body, the somatic response that I'm experiencing is almost indistinguishable from excitement. And the only thing that distinguishes it is some judgment that I make in my brain. Do I feel excited or do I feel scared? And I can actually start rewiring how I respond to things by saying, ooh, there's a sense of excitement here. You know, and it seems that our culture is, is a lot driven by fear these days, yes? Mm-hmm. Um, that there's a lot of fear driving driving politics and driving cultural shifts that we're making. So what if, what if I'm excited about the possibilities that are being presented rather than afraid of the what? Afraid of what? Afraid of what? Afraid of the unknown. I'm excited about the unknown rather than I'm afraid of the unknown. And it seems like there's a, there's a place to go there. And the other thing about that you said that I just want to push back on against is um, something about men are supposed to, we're supposed to know the facts and have the data, Mm -hmm. right? But the research doesn't back that up. People are like fundamentally irrational. (laughs) Like we are motivated by emotions, not by facts. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's a question of what do you want to see in the world? What is the purpose that motivates you? And if you can turn your fear into excitement and have a clear sense of, of what you want to see, a clear sense of vision and purpose in the world, then what are you going to do? Boyson, we just really want to express our deep gratitude for you taking the time to be with us today. It's been great hearing your perspective and really appreciate your insight into fatherhood and mentorship and the role of adult men in our society and how we can really help heal a lot of the wounds that we're currently seeing today. So thank you for being with us, Boyson. It's an honor. Um, All the best to you guys as you blow up. You are going to blow up. So go do that. You've been listening to Right Ways Radio, hosted by Journeymen. Thanks again for joining us. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. And remember to leave us your feedback, and please give us a rating. Find us online at www.journeymen.us.